What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hey, everybody. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. This is Harriet Kamek with Down to Earth, the show in which we talk about the issues that matter. And today on our show, we're going to talk about something that matters. We're going to talk about how the coronavirus could threaten global food supply. As a matter of fact, it could. Uh, The United Nations warns that a protracted pandemic crisis could put a strain on the food on food supply chain supply chains across the world, increasing food insecurity to millions of people. Although the issue is not food scarcity per se, as much as it is the world's measures in response to the fast beating virus, disruptions to shipping and aviation industries in particular will make it increasingly difficult to transport goods internationally placing vulnerable communities and populations at increased risk for food insecurity. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. It's a lot to talk about. Uh, Wherever you are right now, for some people in the South, they had a tornado yesterday. I'm very sorry about that. My condolences to anyone who was caught in that. And it seems like it's going to continue today. So this morning, Uh, Here in Southeast Michigan, for instance, we're under a wind advisory, which means when 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 it's windy here, we lose power, we lose everything. So we're actually under a wind advisory this morning. So if at any time anything goes south after 10 o'clock, it's not me. (laughs) It's the availability of power, right? Um, So yesterday was Easter, a rather unusual Easter Sunday, wouldn't you say? Like it's the first time in living memory. We couldn't go to church. The first time in living memory, we didn't do anything, no Easter bunny, no Easter egg hunt, nothing. And so we all had Easter sitting on our couches in living rooms around the world. A lot of people chose to celebrate Easter uh, by having drive-in services. How do you feel about that? And a lot of people also had mass in an empty cathedral but was streaming online. I feel like whatever works, but I still think that if churches should just as comply with everybody else and just sit still. If they say sit still, just sit still and stream the services so we can all participate. But it was an interesting Easter Sunday. Uh, I made Easter dinner, which is, I'm not proud to say, but in previous years I kind of took it for granted so we would go out to eat or I would just uh, throw something together. But this Easter, for some reason from uh, Lent, I had planned to make, I said, you know what, I'm going to restart my traditions and just have a good Easter dinner. So I made a pretty good Easter dinner. I couldn't find ham anywhere in the stores for the last three weeks. So I had to do uh, 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 a pork butt and, you know, all the stuff that goes with the pork butt and baked chicken and all that stuff. So they're probably going to kill it with all the leftovers that that are left. So I know most of us have been at home. 
for more than almost a month now. So I know people are going to be like, man, I'm barely exercising. And then there was Easter dinner. I feel for you. I really do. (laughs) I feel as if this is going to be quite the thing. You know what I mean? And it's interesting because a lot of us, uh, we're still trying to figure out how are we going to navigate through this and make it out. And just when you think, well, they're getting a handle on it. It seems like it's not peaking anymore. Like we're still, you know, because especially here in Michigan, the number of uh, infections haven't stopped but the number of deaths have stopped. So we've just gotten better at healing people and curing people, but the rate of infection is still high. And that's what I want us to watch. The rate of infection is still high. But we got to look at these things from the perspective of, well, when are we going to restart? Well, the truth is none of us are in control of when the economy restarts. It's the virus. Because if the, if the data from the virus is suggesting that if people go back en masse to work and start restart touching and touching surfaces and touching everybody, then we're going to have a second wave. As a matter of fact, the second wave has restarted in Korea. People who tested negative before are now testing positive. And people who had the virus and survived are getting the virus back again. In fact, in South Korea, they've had 50 cases. The same is true of China. China is saying people who survived the virus are getting it back again. So it seems to be that there is a waiting period, shall we say, you know, an incubation period where after you have had it, then you shouldn't, you shouldn't uh, go back out. Just yesterday, I learned that uh, a family member, an extended family member who is a, a medical doctor in uh, New York and who was on the front lines, he was, he's actually an emergency room physician, had the virus. And stayed home, quarantined himself at home for a while and so on. But then he's a doctor. He's an emergency room physician. Well, what do you know? He went back to work last Monday. So hopefully prayers are up for him. Hopefully he'll be fine. It's not unusual to hear all these stories of of healthcare workers who get sick. And after they recover, they go right back straight to the front line. As if it's like they're soldiers in a war. And they just man up and put their equipment on and they're like, whether I have what I need or not, I'm just going to go out there and just do my job because this is what I'm supposed to do. So shout out to all the healthcare workers around the country and around the world. They're the heroes, right? And I just want to say this morning, a special thank you to truck drivers everywhere because they're bringing me stuff that I need. They're, they're still on the front lines working and driving long hours all over the country to bring food and supplies. I am still, the reason I'm going to talk about a threat to global food supply this morning is because I myself became concerned that after the first wave when people panic bought food, remember that? People panic bought food and bought a lot of food. I thought the supermarket chains got together and said that they have food to restock the shelves. Y'all remember? And they were reducing their hours so that they could deep clean and sanitize overnight, which shocked the hell out of all of us because we were all like, seriously, you weren't sanitizing and deep cleaning all the time? And to find out that they actually said they were going to restock their shelves. Well, have you been to the grocery store lately? In large chains, there's still not enough food on the shelves. 
they're not there are no canned goods there's no grains so rice and pasta and peas and and so on you don't see that a lot you don't see bread products so you don't see flour based and wheat based products like breads buns and 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 so on you don't see a lot of cookies and crackers and you don't see a lot of canned stuff either so even though for most of us we don't eat from a can i don't but in a in a in a in a food supply shortage in a food shortage and food scarcity it's nice to know that you at least have something that you might be able to eat a little of just to survive there's also i don't see a lot of sugar nor flour on the shelves i don't see a lot of oil cooking oils so apart from the paper products that obviously is at a shortage and the disinfectant products which the makers of disinfect disinfectant products say will not normalize again until summer, I am still a little bit concerned that there is still not enough food on the shelves. So I drove around town to a variety of stores to see if what I'm seeing was just confined to one chain, and I found that it's not. And, and so you have to, I, I began to say something is wrong with the food supply chain that they're not telling us yet. So I started looking around on the web to see what's going on, and I found out that a meatpacking plant in Colorado actually had what? Had had some workers who were sick and closed. That was one. That was last week. We talked about that. Then we talked last week about the fact that agricultural workers, farm workers, who were having the virus were not being given protective equipment to be worn, and they were not practicing social distancing. So if one person got sick, then all of them would be sick. And that a lot of them are undocumented workers whom the government forgot about. Like the government is busy sending home undocumented people, but they're the ones who are working in the farms because you and I aren't going out in the fields to work, are we? No, we're too cool for that. We're not going out there. So somebody has to do it. So undocumented workers who have been working the farms, they're getting sick. So I began to get concerned, and man, I went out to the grocery shop. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. We need to buy what you see. Whatever you see, buy it, right? And so now I was a little bit surprised when I read on CNN.com that the UN actually had a meeting about this, had a conference about this on March 25th. And in this conference, they, talk, they talked about trade and development. Apparently, it's a regularly scheduled conference, and they meet to talk. Well, they did this virtually, of course, right, and, and just had uh, uh, people just talk by phone, right, and Zoom and all that. And they talked about what should happen, what nation countries should do in the event that this protracted pandemic stretches out. Now, you hear the president talk about he wants to reopen the economy. Well, he didn't shut it down, so it's not up to him to do that. It's the governors who are doing that because the president didn't shut down the economy. That's actually not how it works. Uh, how it works is each state is its own sovereign state, so each state took a decision to do what they think is best for the citizens within their state. So it's actually the states who have that right to do that. The federal government is, 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 it can't do that, because of how the Constitution is structured. So, in other words, then, in New York State, for instance, when the president says he's going to reopen the economy, he has an eye on the stock market and his friends who own lots of stock and his friends who own large corporations. 
well, the governor of New York is going to dictate whether the stock market reopens or not. Because the governor of New York is going to say, with how many bodies they're dropping on Heart Island right now that are unclaimed coming out of morgues, people who have died from COVID-19, I hardly think that the governor of New York is going to reopen New York State for trade. I hardly think so. There might be some modifications in terms of allowing food and supplies to flow, but I hardly think they're going to open it for people to go to work. I hardly think so. So what, what, what seems to be economically expedient is, in fact, not people-oriented and is not grounded in facts and health consciousness and health awareness for the people. The fact of the matter is that the virus is still spreading. We might have contained the number of deaths, but the rate of infection has not slowed. People are still getting very, very sick. And there are a lot more people who are asymptomatic right now who are walking around with the virus. And if they have continued exposure, will eventually develop the virus. And that is where the problem lies. So we might be lulled into a false sense of security when, in fact, we're sitting on a ticking time bomb. So I want to talk to you a little bit about some of the issues surrounding the food supply chain that you and I probably never had to think about because for us, we would just go to the grocery store and just buy what we want, right? Yes, it's fair, right? We just go to the grocery store. Then came a pandemic and people panicked and cleaned grocery stubs off. But the rest of us thought that the grocery supplier, the grocery retailer, has the food in the back. Well, if they don't have it in the back, they have it at some distribution point that they can go send a truck to get it and bring it back. Then we discovered that it was not so easy. So I want to give you some things to think about when we talk about the global food supply chain. Remember how the president closed the borders, but then said he did not, then he modified it to say he did not close its trade because he became aware that when you close borders, you can't shut it down entirely because trade still has to go on. So you can close it to the movement of people, but not to the movement of goods and services, right? So when you look at the global food supply chain, you got to ask yourself, here in the United States, we're very blessed. So let's say amen and thank you, Jesus, okay? The United, the United States is very blessed. I read somewhere online last week that Britain is worried about food supply because they, most of their food is imported. They don't make enough food to feed everybody. They import a lot of food. Think about that. Here in the U.S., we are blessed. We make food to feed ourselves. We can feed ourselves. And especially in the Midwest, the Midwest is the breadbasket. A lot of food is grown here, right, from the upper Midwest to the lower Midwest. On the plains, a lot of food is grown here, and we are approaching growing season. So the farmers have their grain and so on ready to, uh, and to, to supply, and their seed business is ready to plant. So we, and we have food from California. The only interruption to that would be the truckers and the agricultural workers if they become sick. So yesterday I was a little bit taken aback when I saw that somewhere in Nebraska, uh, Smithfield, everybody knows Smithfield, the company? 
Smithfield, who makes a lot of ham products, a lot of pork products, ham and bacon and so on. And, you know, we love our bacon with our eggs for breakfast. Just shout out. We all know that. Just nod your head. You're like, Harry, you're not talking about something new. We all know how that works, right? Well, Smithfield had to shut down its plant in Nebraska because 250 workers got sick from COVID-19. So for the next two weeks, that plant will be closed. They say that that is going to affect their food supply, their protein supply, because they're not the only protein supplier that is impact that has been impacted by the by by the virus. People just got sick. When you think about that, you have to think about do they have enough bacon and ham and stuff like that? Because you know we we got to eat bacon with our eggs. <laughs> and I say that with all alacrity because we're conscious of how much protein is an important part of our diet. So we have to ask ourselves, really and truly, are we really prepared for that? No, because the crisis, the virus caught us all unaware. And it shows to me a crisis in leadership as well, because I'm like, you guys never planned for an eventuality where like this, like if something were to happen, whether it's a flood or, a, you know, a tornado or power outage caused by something. And you never planned for a disaster it's called disaster preparedness i'm like seriously you just thought that every day the sun would rise and the moon would set and the moon would rotate around the earth and everything was always going to be hunky dory <laughs> I, I cannot imagine that they never planned for a two-week shortage if you can't get your foods to market i never i never imagined in my wildest dreams that people in leadership never planned for this here in, in Detroit, in, in, in Michigan, rather, uh, I read a story on the Detroit News on Friday where there have been over a thousand deaths in the southeast Michigan area, and they have run out of storage for, for, for uh, bodies. And they're seeking refrigerated trucks off, off, off campus, off the hospitals, the morgues are filled. And I was like, Seriously, there are like 5 million people living in Southeast Michigan. And a thousand people die all at once. And you can't find anywhere to store. And I'm like, so what the heck were you all doing all this time? I, I don't know. I'm like, you're in leadership. Did it never occur to anybody that at some point something could have happened like war? Like somebody could have come and shoot the place up and a lot of people would die? It never occurred to anybody that that could happen. So they've run out of storage because the funeral directors association said a lot of people postponed funerals because the other person who could make the decision is also in the hospital or because of the restrictions on movement, you can't have. And I'm like, why aren't you telling people only 10 people can come to the funeral? Oh, you want to be nice, so, okay, so we have a problem now. No, we can only accommodate 10 people at the funeral because you have to stand six feet apart. I'm like, a thousand people die all at once. The same night, a thousand people die at once, and we ran out of storage. I could not, I, I still I still am stunned. I can't believe that. This is called disaster preparedness. This is a crisis in leadership. It is exposing our vulnerabilities so that after this, 
these are things that we have to work on because clearly we were asleep at the switch and never thought. I, 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 I was saying it to my daughter and she's like, mom, think about the facts. A thousand people dying all at once. And I'm like, maybe because I come from a third world country, so this kind of thing happens. <laughs> I don't know. But I'm just like, I am amazed. That you, so what can, What do you all do when you sit in meetings and you talk? What You only talk about making more money? You don't ever say what if scenarios? I'm just asking. I'm asking. Nobody ever planned for this. Nobody ever thought. A thousand people died, not all at once in one day. A thousand people died over three weeks and they have completely run out of storage. All the morgues and funeral homes in Southeast Michigan are done. They can't find anywhere else to store all the dead people. Imagine that. And now that's for the dead. The dead are dead. They're done. What about the living? We won't be able to find food because we, what were we doing? Watching Netflix all day? We weren't planning? Or were we just so robotized that we just got up and made more money? We were just, wind me up toy to make money, 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 money. Just make more money and never sat down to think. Or are we so drugged? Did we get so high? Did we have such a good time that we were always drinking and partying? It never occurred to us that one day the party would come to an end. Well, this is it. The party came to an end, full stop, and we were not ready. Here are some of the reasons why we're not ready. So the global food supply, that that is going to be a problem, is not necessarily about a scarcity of food itself. It's supply. So anybody who studied supply chain management at Michigan State or any any, any, uh, university knows exactly what this is all about. It's supply. Years and years ago when I was very young, I was a marketing director for a tour operator. So we moved a million people per, per year. So my job was to find big buses and to organize and to sell the idea that we could move a million people per year if they had to go drop off, pick up, drop off, pick up. We called it turnaround. How many buses were needed to move 500 people on a turnaround, had to allocate that and so on. It's logistics. Well, in those kind of sessions, we also had to take into consideration what if there's an accident on this route, then you have to have enough buses somewhere else that can be diverted. So we were constantly in a state of preparedness. What is emerging to me right now is that some of the countries have figured this out, but we, the first world countries, we're too busy having a party. We were partying like it's 1979, 1969. We were partying like it's 2029. We were so into the future partying that it never stopped for us to think what could happen now. It never occurred to us to say what if. Yet countries that we consider to be third world countries have a better grasp of this. They are, they have, the minute the virus hit and they, if they became aware that it would be a problem, they began planning for how to control their populations, how to move people around, how to distribute food and energy, understanding that those are key pillars of a society to keep it going. Food and energy, got to keep the lights and the water on. You need energy to power that. 
and you need energy to carry the food to where people will need it. Meanwhile, what were we thinking about? Man, I can't go to the club. I can't go to the bar. I can't go to have Easter dinner. I can't go hang out. My internet isn't working. That's what we in the first world countries were thinking of. Right now, we have a problem. They're not telling us, but we have a problem. The blessing with the United States is that because we're so big and so wide, we have distribution points in the country. Now, I have to insert here that one uh, grocery retailer in the Southwest, in Texas, H-E-B, based in Austin, Texas, when the coronavirus hit in, in China, they have a war room that they went into. And they went at it. They began planning for if there's an interruption in the food supply. They ordered stuff from China. When the virus started in China before China closed down, they began ordering stuff from China and storing it in their distribution centers. Then they figured out which distribution centers should have food and had trucks and lined up on supply. If this happened, if it happened here, what could happen? So when you go to HEB in Texas, their shelves are stopped. They bought enough stuff to last them for six months. That's planning. Where were the rest of us? Where were the other retailers? Where were the people, uh, the people in public health who could have foreseen this was coming and turned the water on in Detroit so people can wash their hands to minimize contagion and the spread of infection? Where were they to, make, to send out advisories to clubs and so on to say, hey, you probably need to not have this going on. Just, just, just tell me about that. Right? Where were they? So I have a caller. Caller, I can hear you. I can see you. Just give me a few minutes. The problem with the food supply is the increased food insecurity for poorer countries. That means even yesterday, did you all see this? It was on CNN. There was a food bank in L.A. that was five miles long. A food bank, people lined up. They took over a huge parking lot and people were lined up for miles. People, and the people were people who were healthcare workers. They worked at LAX. People just did not have enough food. You know why? It's not necessarily a scarcity in money to buy food. They're not working, so that's a problem. It's also there's nothing on the shelves. There's nothing on the shelves coupled with the fact that people have been out of work for more than four weeks now, right? Uh, let me take this caller to see what's going on. Good morning, caller number one. This is Harriet Kemick with Down to Earth. Who am I speaking to? Peace and power, sis. This is uh, Equinif. How you doing? I am well, thank you. What's up? Well, I guess it's the coronavirus. <laughs> I guess uh you know a lot of uh a lot of the spirits aren't up you know a lot of people are uh feeling afraid fearful defeated um mm-hmm. and uh we know that that causes a lot of turmoil for your immune system and right. also the importance of now I'm 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 pretty adamant at this time because we as black folk here, whether it be in America, whether we say we don't like the European, we don't we hate the system, we hate the police, we hate what they do to us, but we trust them to feed us, right? We trust them too well to feed us. 
We say, well, we, we don't trust all these other practices, that, but we'll trust the food that you're giving us. In the actuality, what the reality is is that we should have, as animals, we should already know how to feed ourselves rather than depending on someone else to bring us our food. You know, mm. and I think it is a one that's forcing us and our people to go back to gardening. Gardening, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I'm here and I haven't ever in my whole life heard so many black people talk about gardening, whether it be <laughs> in the ground gardening or whether it be. So I, I do feel like the creator is putting this thing up against us and also going back to understand that this is a, a war tactic. Of the European, because in my opinion, and from what I've studied, this whole coronavirus thing and how it's playing out, it's not surprising that when it hit America that now you have more numbers, which America is supposed to be the most, one of the most technological nations in the world, right? So we should have already been prepared and ready to handle this, right, before it came. But now it's like a coinky-dink or a coincidence, it just happened to migrate over to America, and guess who it hit the worst? Black folks, mm-hmm. right? So we mm-hmm. already know doggone well that this is a war tactic. And, you know, in, in some war strategies, that's mm-hmm. what they do uh, to the person whom they're warring against is cutting their food supply. That is right. a tactic of, of war is cutting your food supply, uh-huh. you know, in my opinion, I don't ever feel like we as black folk here in America and are actually globally have been uh, removed from the warlike strategies and things that, that go on in our neighborhood. So I feel like this has been a plague, but a one that is going to call us to go back to gardening. Do not, uh, we can't say we're going to wait for McDonald's to give us our nutrition or wait for Burger King to give us our dinner. Right. You know, now Mm -hmm. is the time we need to be having and establishing conversations on how we do uh, the the, the necessities as it relates to providing and making provisions for ourselves and also our families in the case that that the the grocery stores close. I have, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not sure if you or any of your your supporters, I got an excellent seed plug that has uh, heirloom seeds, organic, non-GMO seeds. Mm-hmm. So anybody out there that, that are growers and know the importance of that, that's a very great package. You can get over 10,000 seeds for as low as like $60. So, you know, uh, these, these these are tad bits of information that, that we should or could be passing around. But to those that yeah. don't even know, there are some people that don't even know about seeds that don't know where to start when it comes down to gardening because we've been mm-hmm. so used to fast food for so long. So right, now they're right. going to put us, you know, put us to the test. Right. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for calling in. I appreciate that. Yes, ma'am. Well, I, I think you raised a valid point. Don't you think we should all go back to gardening and planting our own food? So you might say, well, I live in an apartment. Well, get a pot with soil. And, and put some seeds in it, some tomatoes, some beans, and so on. So put it on, your, uh, put it on your, your balcony if you have a balcony. If you don't have a balcony, put it near a window. Because our food supply is in, is, is in peril. And it is going to be a problem the longer this virus is lo- lo- looping around. Now, uh, here are the people who are essential to this. Farmers, 
agricultural workers and the truck drivers. Farmers, agricultural workers. So we need the farmers in, in the western part of the country. It's warmer over there right now and in the southern part of the country to farm. But we need the agricultural workers to go out there and pick those bad boys off the vines. And they're getting sick because, first of all, they don't have health care because they're undocumented. They're not going to get a stimulus check because they only have what is called the taxpayer identification number or protected taxpayer identification number. So even though they pay taxes, they cannot get benefits because they are not legalized. We might, going forward, have to look into establishing some legal basis for agricultural workers. Because without whom, we ain't going to eat this month. We're not going to eat this week, and we probably are going to have a problem. We also have to look into the people who work in meatpacking plants. That's where when they slaughter the cows and the, 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 uh, the pigs and the chickens, somebody has to clean all that up and sanitize it prepare it for the health department to come in and examine it and then distribute it and package it so it comes to us. So you and I just walk up into the supermarket like the kings and queens we think we are and just buy food off the shelf without a thought as to how it even got there in the first place. Well, like the caller says, guess what? We are beginning to rethink that, right? So we have to think about the farmers, the agricultural workers, and the truckers. They're key and essential. So whatever they need to do their jobs right now, we should be doing that. Not just here in America, but wherever you are in the world and you're listening to this. Think about this. I'm going to give you some more facts to think about. Hold on. Don't go anywhere. Uh, we talked about the meatpacking plant in Nebraska that's already closed, right? And pork products that will be in short supply. So this is not about food scarcity per se, as it is about the distribution of food and who is distributing it. Border closures and movement restrictions have impacted this. So we're not having free movement of stuff. That is going to impact. So we, we tend to think about our country. We think about America. Well, we have the East, the West, right? The North and the South. Then we have the Midwest. We have the Upper Midwest, the Lower Midwest. We have the Southeast, the Southwest. You see where I'm coming from? So we, the food is distributed into distribution centers like everything else, whether they're distributing paper products or not. They have distribution centers in different parts of the country. Within The Constitution says you are allowed to move around the country. So we're moving stuff around. The problem is we need human beings to do this. Right? Here's another problem. When we shut the world down, you know what we didn't think about? We didn't think about the food that was already in containers and on tarmacs around the world. You do know that food being distributed comes by shipping, and shipping is aviation as well as, as marine sea. We know that, right? Guess what? There was food already coming, but we closed the borders. So we closed on the customs and border patrol. So we weren't checking the food that was coming in from other parts of the world that is sitting in containers on ports and tarmacs around the country. The problem is food supply. Again, we did not think. It never occurred to us. And you would have thought, we're the generation after 9-11. That was our biggest challenge, right? 
because our parents and grandparents went through World War II and World War One. So we're the generation after 9-11. So we kind of think we got it together because, you know, we, we have cell phones walking around now that look like our PAMs, and we can do everything on our cell phones. We thought we were pretty cool. I mean, we can talk like the people on Star Trek that we used to watch. We have Bluetooth, we call it now, right? We, can, we have supersonic jets. We have everything we never sat down and thought about. What if everything came to a final stop one day? Here we are. We never thought about, good God Almighty, we need to have food in reserve. We never thought about that. But the generation who lived through World War II, they would have told us that. But guess what? We parceled them off to nursing homes and said they have no, nothing to share with us because they're not current. They're insignificant and irrelevant. But their wisdom would have told us you can't party forever. You got to put away something for rainy day. You got to stuff some stuff away. I, I, I am one of them because my mother had a freezer and she always had food st stuffed up in the basement. I kid you not. Bags of flour and rice and sugar. And I used to say, what the heck is all this stuff for? And cans of this and jars of this and that. And I thought it was a grand waste. I'm like, why are you storing up all this food? It looks country. Guess what happened now? Guess who is about to join? That was wisdom. That's a generation who lived through the Great Depression and World War II who understood the importance of making sure you have food on hand to avoid food scarcity. That's why we all went out and panic bought stuff. Because the minute we realized that they were going to have a restriction in movement, we realized that food was the one thing you got to have. So let's go get food and toilet paper. Too little, too late, right? Think about that. Airlines have grounded planes. So the disruption in shipping and aviation has caused and has contributed to this food insecurity, not just here, but worldwide. America is the world's breadbasket. We, we, buy food, we buy exotic food from South America and the Caribbean and so on, but we also export a lot of food. We export milk. Did you know that? We send milk to Canada and other places. We send milk to China. We export a lot of food. If America goes dark, the world goes dark. But here we are. We are approaching that time, right? We're approaching it, so you better be prepared. Ports are closed with food in containers, right? And the, the UN has gotten together and they have asked for this. In that March 25th conference that you really don't hear about on the news because it's not a soundbite. They're not talking about it because it's not material to what they think is important, which is politics. See, you gotta understand, the people who are talking heads on television are very self-serving. They are self-serving because they promote their own interests and they're interested in their own interests. Those people think that they can always, they, most of them live in Manhattan, by the way. So everything they need is within a five-mile radius of where they work and where they, so their, 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 their viewpoints and perspectives are limited to that five-mile radius. They can't imagine that people in upstate New York might face a food shortage because they actually have uh, housekeepers who call down to, to the grocery store to make sure they get their weekly supply of organic stuff. It never occurred to them to look beyond. So they're very self-serving. They want to be the one who calls out a politician. They want to be the one who does this. So they don't look into the real facts. 
So they're not talking about it on TV. They're talking about this political stuff that is really hitting you and I in the place where, all right, all right, we've made up our minds where we're going to vote in November. Right now, can you tell me how we're going to get some money to, to pay my bills? Right now, can you tell me how we're going to buy some food? It never occurred to anybody to look beyond the pale. And we dismissed the wisdom of our parents and grandparents because we think they're not relevant because they can't pick up a phone and send a PDF or convert a Word document to PDF. They can't log on and Zoom or whatever, so we think they're insignificant. Whereas their wisdom could have told us, put some food away. Hello. So the United Nations is asking governments, private citizens, and politicians around the country, around the world, to start talking and to start making plans to help people who are even more vulnerable. I'm getting to that. They're also saying subsidies on ag- to agriculture can keep supply chains going. With, and here's the thing, in China, as usual, China, they started this darn virus, so naturally they have a response. What China did during the virus was they used drones to man their agricultural spots and their meat processing plants. So where human contact was not available, they used drones and robots to do that. Good old China, huh? Who created a bloody virus that shut the whole world down. No, I'm not a fan. You can tell that right away. And no, I'm not even being unbiased. I'm just saying, right? We also need, here are some things we need to do. We need masks and protective equipment and disinfectant products for agricultural workers and truckers. These truckers are driving 20 hours. They need to stop, get some food to eat, and we need to give them white wipes and so on. So when they do go into a bathroom, they're not touching somewhere where people already have the virus. Come on, somebody. I want to look at Australia. Australia exports 65% of its agricultural products naturally to the countries that are in, in, in lower Asia, right? Okay, so they can't send anything out of their country right now, so they're now actually distributing the food within their country. That's just one part of the problem. It's the same thing here in in the U.S. I saw on Bloomberg News a couple weeks ago, it might have been last week, where dairy farmers in upstate New York had to throw away milk. They had to dump milk because they had no trucks to distribute milk to the rest of the state and to Jersey and Connecticut and the other places whom they normally sell to. Are you seeing what I'm saying? So here's what the UN is recommending. The United Nations is recommending not only that private citizens start talking about this, but they're, they're suggesting we implement emergency measures such as mobile food banks like we saw in California on CNN.com yesterday, right? Cash advances to people to go buy some food, right? Food places where we can store food, store food reserves, and of course, taking care of agricultural workers. So who is at risk? Who is the most at risk during this? The islands of the sea. Do you realize that the islands of the sea rely on what? Shipping and aviation to bring their food. Most, it's not just the exotic stuff like, you know, you need oysters and lobster and, and so on that have to be brought in. No, it's just basic food. A lot of the countries in the islands of the sea cannot feed themselves. They're going to have a problem. And that's where the pandemic is going to become a panic. Because America is shut down. It's been four weeks. We came to a halt. Boom, pulled the straps up 
on the economy and said, we got to protect America and Americans. But we can feed ourselves. The rest of the world is having a problem. Canada, our neighbor to the north, imports 75% of its food from the United States. 75% of food that is in Canada comes through right here. goes across the Detroit Bridge and goes through Buffalo and goes through uh, another and goes through on the West Coast. That's serious. These are the things that we have to pay attention to. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm not telling you to panic buy, but I'm telling you on your next trip to the grocery store, make sure you get your grains and your basics down pat. Right now, one of the things that I used to take for granted going to the grocery store, you ever walk past the frozen section? I'm like, I don't eat anything with preservatives, so I'm barely going to walk past there. But now I'm kind of like looking over there and there's nothing left. I wish I had thought of buying frozen orange juice and frozen juices. Remember those that used to, and then you all are saying, oh, yeah, right. So on your next trip to the grocery store, make sure you have enough to cover yourself for two to three weeks, just in case the food supply doesn't get restored. And we're still here in late May to June. And we are like, dang, I can't find anything. You've got the money, but you can't find it. We're already approaching that problem in Detroit because people are driving, taking the bus and driving to grocery stores and going to grocery stores and there's nothing on the shelf. So they're going around looking for food. Not because there's a scarcity of food. The trees still have stuff on them, but it's the distribution and the supply chain that's the issue. You see where I'm coming from? It's food for thought. I'm going to post the link for those of you on Twitter and so on. Uh, and for those of you who listen to this broadcast later, uh, go to my, my page on Twitter and Facebook. Typically find stuff and I find it interesting. I usually think everybody else should pay attention to it as well. I'm going to post the link to this story so that we can all see it, view it, and keep that in mind. So you can't say you never heard that we should all pay attention. Share the story with others. You know, when your friends are going shopping, you're like, what are you buying? Buy stuff that you can eat later. Buy stuff that you can put in the freezer. They'll all, they, they're going to keep the power and the water on because we need that to preserve health. So they're not going to make, they're going to make sure the power and the water will be on. But you need food to cook, right? Make sure you have some kind of partner with a neighbor or somebody or some family member who has a freezer or something to store some food. And don't be ashamed. But I know it's going to look like, well, my gra- I grew up seeing my grandma do this. I grew up seeing my mom and my grandma did it, and I thought it was country. I know, yet here we are. If I had listened to the wisdom of my mother, I wouldn't be worried about going to the grocery store now and seeing empty shelves. That's what stunned me. Never in my life have I seen that. I never thought it could happen here. I never thought I'd live to see the day when that happened. And the thing that got to me was, okay, so... In March, they started getting empty. How come you can't replenish them? That's when I started paying attention. Right? Right. So my prayer is that for all of us, we need to know this and we need to start taking measures to ensure that we are taken care of. They're sending stimulus checks out. When you get that stimulus check, head on to the grocery store, spend about $300, make sure you have enough stuff. Whatever it takes for you, for a single person, it might be $250. For someone, a family of four, that's going to be $700. Go buy some stuff. 
buy frozen stuff that you can you can eat later buy grains because you're going to need the energy from carbohydrates and buy protein if you can get it and if you have the time boil eggs because and put store them in the freezer so you can eat them later i kid you not protein protein you're going to need protein and carbohydrates protein to keep you up, keep your bodies going and your cells going and carbohydrates to power us up with energy, right? And talking about energy, go to my page on Anchor FM as well as go to my page on the exodusfoundation.com. Help us. There are women who are in domestic violence situations. We're about to ship books out to them and make a donation here and there. So I need your support in order to continue supporting these charities and supporting people who can't help themselves at this time. Food banks are running low on food. One church in Atlanta said that when they first started, they were only giving out, four weeks ago, they were giving out 300 people food. Now it's 1,000 people showing up. 1,000 cars are showing up at the church for food. Don't tell me there isn't a problem. There is, right? Thanks so much, everybody. I wish you the best. Tomorrow, I'll be joined on my broadcast with retired Judge Wade McCree, He's my good friend, and we're going to talk about, you, you, this is going to kill you, why strip clubs want a bailout. Did you hear that one? Okay, so we're going to talk about that tomorrow. So listen up. I'm going to post the link so we can all see. I want to thank you so much, everybody. My name is Harriet Kimmick. This is Down to Earth. Be blessed. Have a great Monday. Bye, everybody. See you tomorrow. Bye. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. <laughs> see you tomorrow, everybody gonna be good it's gonna be good this episode is made possible by pwc a robot may not be coming for your job but competitors are coming for your market share at pwc we pair the right tech with the right solutions to help you gain a competitive edge Reimagine operations from the cloud, fuel innovation with responsible AI, and detect risks before they become headlines. That's human-led and tech-powered. It's all part of the new equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.